Are you someone who doesn't take life too seriously? Do you sometimes find that a shot of whiskey isn't only deserved, but needed? If you said yes to either of those, welcome to the Whiskey and Lace podcast, where we have honest chats with everyday people, shit shows and all. I'm your host, Erica Altus, and I'm here to empower you to be the best version of yourself and perhaps share in a shot of whiskey. Now pour yourself a glass of wine and let's go. Welcome to the Whiskey and Lace podcast. This may be my first episode. I'm not sure yet if if it's going to make it as the first, but if so, I'm very excited to announce that I'm here with my dad, Melvin. Hi, dad. What's going on, E? Um, Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot? One of the the top questions that people ask me is if you get offended that I, I call you Melvin instead of dad sometimes. What would you say to that? I've never been put in a position by you to be offended by it. Oh, well, I'm glad. You know, because you use respect when you say it. Totally. I, think I don't say it all the time. No, you don't. No. But uh, when you do. I'm... I mean, with a name like Melvin and mom's name Alice, I mean, they're just too good of names not to use. They're unique. They're very unique. Yes. All of you and your siblings' uh, names are pretty, pretty unique, I guess. Kenneth, Ronald, Lori. I mean... Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> I, never, I never thought of it that way. But uh, They're not common names anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. Well, someday you, you'll look back at uh, Austin, Charlotte, <laughs> and they'll be, I don't know what they'll be using by then, but. Charlotte's pretty classic. Charlotte's web, huh? <laughs> yes. All right. Let's, you know, since we're on the topic of like your your siblings, let's talk a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Give us a little background on, you know, who you are. Okay. What was your childhood like? They need to know my birthday. They want all the facts, or <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you want to offer up. All right. Well, I don't like most of us don't remember the first couple of years, but no. uh, I was born in 1950, and at that time, my dad was still playing professional baseball in the minor leagues. I spent my first year in life in Wenatchee, Washington. I never knew this about you. Yeah, and the nickname of the Wenatchee, Washington, the Wenatchee Chiefs. All right. So there's a baby picture of me wearing a Chiefs uniform on there. And then didn't you end up playing for the Chiefs at some point? I did not. Oh. (laughs) No, I did not end up playing for the Chiefs. Where were were you playing? What team did you play for, for professional baseball? Uh, The Cleveland Indians. Oh, that's why. Okay. There you go. There is a Chief involved with Indians. Yeah, yeah. Okay. uh, They're now known as the Cleveland Guardians today. Yes, they changed the name. Oh, yes. And I don't know if Wenatchee even has a team anymore. Gotcha. All right. So you grew up there for the first year, and then how did you end up in Alameda? Well, my mom was uh, born and raised in Alameda. My okay. dad was right across the water, the, the estuary in Oakland. That's where he was born and raised in West Oakland. So I don't know how we ended up on, you know, 3275 Ensnell Avenue, but my mom was born on the island. She died on the island. Oh, you know, both so, of them. Yeah. Yeah. That place was pretty special. It was. That's for sure. Would you say you had like a pretty normal childhood? I know grandpa grew up pretty poor, correct? Um. The, I guess, I mean, if you want to use the poor, I don't think they never wanted or needed. They they were provided with everything. They're all their needs as they grew up. Right. And uh, his dad died when he was nine. How did he die? A heart attack. Oh. Yeah. Suddenly. He was the youngest of six. My dad was the youngest of six. That's why his name is Lel for the little one. That's his brothers called him that. He had five brothers, no sisters. So the dynamics of the family were pretty much, you know, male dominant, obviously. And uh, his mom, I mean, she was strict, 
Yeah. You, know, as you that, have as, to be with six it, boys. Yeah, she was, but uh, she used to braid her hair real long. I remember that. She used to braid it real long and basically it turned it into a whip almost. Oh, my you know? gosh. And not, not me. Nana. Not, no, Grandma A was what she was called. Oh, who was Nana? Wasn't, wasn't there a Nana? Yeah, the, that was my mom's mom. Oh, jeez. So I had Nana. My siblings I, are going to get all over me on all this misinformation I have. And, and I had Grandma A. And I remember she lived across the street in West Oakland from the meat factory, and she would take me over there to get hot dogs. And I'd eat the hot dogs raw as a kid. Ew, Mark does that. That's so gross. <laughs> uh, he's probably eating a better dog than I was. I mean, <laughs> probably grass-fed and the whole bit. But uh, we didn't You know, know me well. We didn't know about those things back then, so... No. Anyway, I, I they mean, probably were grass fed back then. You, you don't didn't remember a lot when you're a kid, but right. there are certain things that stand out. Right. And you're the oldest of four. I am. Yep. Yeah. And you all grew up in Alameda, and then you ended right. up going to Alameda High. And then after that, you, well, you met mom, right? Before you left for college? No. Oh, geez. I am a, I'm doing a terrible job on my research. <laughs> well, that's okay. It's, it's good. You're learning something here. I'm learning something, that's okay. for sure. Okay, yeah. We fast-forwarded through Alameda, huh? As <laughs> far as me growing up. A little bit. Because okay. Alameda right. was a very special place to grow up as a child. Okay, let's talk about it. Okay. We, we all came. If you met people my age, even younger, and they said they're from Alameda, the first question you would ask is, what park did you go to? Because okay. Alameda had 13 playgrounds, and their Little League involved. It was a T-shirt league, okay? And we played during the summertime. We didn't play in April and May. It started uh-huh. when school ended in June. Okay. Because we didn't have to worry about a Little League World Series in August and that type of stuff. Right. And uh, so you'd go to your park. You would sign up, and it was by grade. And uh, the T-shirts were provided by the Elks Department in the city of Alameda. and I'm happy to say I, I played in the T-shirt league, and that league produced more major league players than any little league in the almost in the Bay Area. Wow. Willie Sargil's in the Hall of Fame. Chris Spire played there. Tommy Harbor played for the Boston Red Sox. There were players afterwards. Dontrell Willis, who's an announcer. Jeez. What was in the water in Alameda? It was a great baseball tradition. Okay. You know, went all the way back to Dick Bart- Bartell and that field at Lincoln Park, which was around the corner where I grew up is named after him, and he played in the big leagues. Got it. So, tremendous baseball tradition. We would go play. You have a regular schedule, so we played about 10 or 11 games. We Mm -hmm. played once a week, and it was a weekday, and the games were like at 1 o'clock. And when I became a park director, and it's funny, I I coached five teams. Wow. But I was at the park all day, so at 10 o'clock, I would have like the second graders that would have their practice, at noon, I'd have maybe the fourth graders in fourth through sixth grade have their practice. And then at three in the afternoon or whatever time, you know, we get to the afternoon, there'd be a game with maybe the little coast, which was the older kids. All right. So two practices and a game. How old were you coaching these kids? I was, it was when I was coming back from my summer months from college. Okay. So this is probably, part-time this job. probably molded you into being the spectacular coach that so many people got to experience in Sonoma County. Do you think that that's where this all well, started? It was, you know, we all have stepping stones in life, and that was my first stepping stone from a coaching standpoint. Okay. And I was, you know, 20, 20 years old doing mm-hmm. that at that particular time. Yeah, it was a wonderful time to be and grow up in Alameda. Sounds like a great place. And we, we would go to the park 
every day, and we played baseball every day. We played what we called lob ball or over the line. So we were, we were hitting the ball, we were catching the ball, we were throwing the ball. Maybe that's one of the key reasons. You know, we, were not, we didn't have computers and not yeah. playing video games. I was playing baseball. And, and what so do I'll you think it. about technology nowadays with well, kids? Uh, doing them as cert, like, is it, is it serving them in a positive way? Or would you say it's like doing a disservice having so many? You're asking for an opinion. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. I don't think it serves them in a positive way in any way. When you say kids, I mean, we're probably talking, say, say 12 and under. That, I don't see what benefits them to be. You know, all they're doing is pushing buttons and playing a game. And There's something to be said about being bored and being outside and, and using your imagination. Correct. Yep. Correct. I totally agree. So we fast forwarded to me becoming a, a park director, and I had some great park directors in my day that influenced me and coached me at that point. So summer of... 69, we had an in-service uh, training day and uh, was being run by the supervisors, my dad being one of them, at uh, Ensenal High School. And my group that I was in, there wasn't that many people in it. And so one of the directors that was running the in-service training told my dad, see if you can get a few more people into our group here. And I said, yeah, and make sure you ask the blonde to come into our group. Oh, is this where Alice comes in? Are you about to cry? I Aww. could. He could. He's getting teary-eyed. You are the sweetest. That's how much he loves my mom. It's really cute. How old were you guys when you met? Well, um... I can't do math like that, so I'm sorry. Is that to... right? Well, I was, I was, I was um, 18. Okay. In 69. During the summer of 69. I turned 19 that October. So... Um, and it was just love at first sight? It was attractiveness at first sight, yeah. you know, and then she was in my group and little did my dad know that he paired us up and the rest he of made it happen. Yeah. I remember spilling the glue all over the gym floor and I said, well, oh, this is a sticky situation. I put myself in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, it was all over the basketball court in the gym and I, I undid the top. It uh-huh. fell. The glue came out. And just one of those. Moments. Did Alice so, come over and uh, help you out? Um, I don't think I don't remember oh, that part. Okay. And the next part I remember with Alice was calling her to see if she wanted to go on a date to a, an Oakland A's baseball game. Oh, that's sweet. That was your first date. It was. I did not know that. Yeah, at the Oakland Coliseum, the A's had good teams then. <laughs> not uh, so much anymore. Not, not anymore. No. And uh, should I say I was getting free tickets to the newspaper in town? There. That's how small Alameda was at that time. You but, got free uh, tickets through them. She didn't know what the hole in the tickets meant. And when you had a ticket and it had a hole in it, it means they were comped. Oh. So, and then it was really exciting. After the ball game, I took her to my house. We had ice cream and I don't know if we had donuts or whatever, but we had dessert. Oh, that's so cute. You know that mine and Mark's first date was a Giants game. Really? Yeah. Well, then. You were there, actually. And I told Mark, this is funny. You might not know about this. We were sitting in the bleachers and you were sitting on the first baseline. I don't know who you were with. I think you were with like the Brasadis or something. And, and I told Mark that you were there. Like, do you want to go meet my dad? And he said, sure. But I was like, okay, we're going to have to take that dip out of your mouth because Mark was at that time, he chewed tobacco. And then, and then I think that made him a bit nervous. Whoa, dad, that is like living on the edge. He just put his whiskey on the rocks <laughs> like on the edge of the chair. 
<laughs> one slip up, that thing's going down. You're in a swivel chair. Careful. I know. Um, so anyways, yeah. That's you know, he would have been perfectly fine. I'd played professional baseball back then. And more guys dipped that did not dip until <laughs> they changed all that. So he dipped, he dipped, you yeah. know. I'm lucky that he quit that habit. Well. It's pretty disgusting. It was a good quitting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So you met mom and then you got to go to college on two scholarships, one for baseball and one for basketball, correct? Am I wrong about that too? Holy no, shit. There, I mean, there, there was kind of a technicality on it. Uh, I remember the University of San Diego is where I went to school. Mm -hmm. And they came into the house and they offered me a basketball scholarship, believe it or not. Okay. It was a full ride scholarship for four years and uh, tuition books, room and board. Okay. Okay. So it wouldn't cost me anything. And so baseball was always my first love. And I remember asking at the time, I said, can I just play baseball? And they said, well, yeah, we want you as a baseball player, but the, the best the school can offer you on, uh, for baseball only is uh, tuition and books. I didn't even respond. And my dad said, my son will play basketball. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, as long as I can play baseball. And so it worked out, you know, yeah. the first three years since I technically was on a basketball scholarship. That's how it was with the school. When the seasons crossed and there was about a three-week period where it did, I could go to a baseball game if we just had basketball practice. But if we had a basketball game, I had to play basketball. The coaches, I'm sure, understood. Well, they, they were fine, yeah. Well, they worked good. it out. Maybe I was good enough that they neither one wanted to lose me, but... Uh, well, you were a very incredible athlete. Well, if other people wanted to determine that, I'll <laughs> let them do it. I'm not right. going to pontificate for myself. Well, you obviously were, you know, you were really good at sports, and you did go to professional, you know, baseball, but that obviously didn't stick. And then you and mom ended up moving here to San Rosa. I'm fast-forwarding a bit. You are. I mean, That's you've lived okay. a long life, Dad. We're going to be here for four hours if we go through all the motions. Well, you know? I hope I last that long. <laughs> um, but so many people that I know personally, and even I got, you know, a few questions in the questions box from some of your old players. And you've made a huge impact on so many people's lives through specifically your coaching. And so I want to know, like, what do you think made you a good leader? What made you so impactful to people that are now in their, you know, 40s and 50s that are, like, so grateful that they had the impact from you? What would you say, like, what made you so impactful? Like, why were you, why well, were you such a standout coach and leader? Well, at that part, you know, at that time in my life where we kind of left off, you know, I was a player. And I was lucky enough, blessed enough to play for some great coaches. So what you do is you pick up what they do and how they do it, how they handle situations with players and everything. It's not a smooth road, no matter what generation you go to, there's always issues. And I, I was fortunate there. I, was, I played for Bernie Bickerstaff in basketball, who ended up going on and coaching in the NBA and won an NBA championship with the Seattle Supersonics. Oh, wow. Before Seattle moved to Oklahoma City. Seattle doesn't have a basketball team now, but they will get one shortly, I'm mm -hmm. sure. So I, I was fortunate to play with uh, Bernie before he moved on to the NBA. You know, that's some pretty high-level coaching. Coaching, yeah. yeah. You know, he had the talent. Good, at that, good at role that. model for I, you. I was lucky to play for him. Right. Yeah. And the other coach that influenced me a lot was John Cunningham. And he was the freshman. We had freshman basketball in college back then. He was my freshman basketball coach. And he was the baseball coach. Oh, wow. And he went to the University of San Francisco, and he played basketball and baseball there when he was in college in the 50s. 
Gotcha. So I had, I had a lot of John in my athletic career at San Diego. Right. I mean, I both. So you them. took that into your coaching, and you coached my brothers all growing up. Were they the hardest ones to coach? Be honest. Was uh, it harder to coach them than other people's kids? No. 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 Oh, that's good. Well, you I, obviously I, I think, did a really good job. I think I had maybe a few more issues or challenges with other people's kids because they didn't get it. Right. You know, and so I had to work harder with them, whereas my sons, they would come home and, I mean, they they listened. They wanted to be better, and it worked out pretty good. Now, I was there again. I was lucky. I had uh, Ken Escobar as my assistant coach. He had two sons that were on the team, and him and I made a deal. We said whenever we get in a situation with our children, if it's a kind of a conflict there and it becomes, you know, brothers and a dad situation, you step in for me, I'll step in for you. Yeah. So Kids I, typically listen a little better for other Yeah, people. so it was just the deal we made. And yeah, it worked it, out. It worked out great. So yeah. now you're one of your sons, Tony, uh-huh. is, you know, arguably at the highest point he can almost get in his coaching career. What was it like being there at the game last year when he was on the field for the first time as an MLB coach? You want me to cry again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I could just, if I can preface it. Oh, do you need a tissue? He's having a hard time getting it. It's okay. One of the proudest moments of your life, I would assume. I'm more proud of him off the field than I am on. Oh. As that with all my children. Their careers are just one little aspect of them. Correct. Right. It's the field you've chosen to go on in. You all are doing incredibly well in the field you've chosen, whether it's Matt playing the piano or mm-hmm. you doing what you're doing Scotia as an influencer. Teaching. Scotia teaching and influencing the kids in the school. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Mike is doing real good with his company, and, you know, he's a regional manager in the Pacific Northwest now. I mean, I don't base, I don't base success on... The amount of money you're bringing in or, right. you know, the type of things you have in life, that's not what success is, is all about. I totally agree. And you did a really good job. I mean, you had six kids. Do you have any advice for parents on how to raise humans <laughs> that end up being kind people and contribute to society and, you know, and arguably are successful? Like what, what was, was there any secrets well, to getting that? There's no book that's written about your family right. and how many kids you have that you can go to the library or, and just pull it off the shelf and read and say that the how to, cause mm-hmm. you're dealing every family deals with the th- different situations, different personalities. Yeah. Because it didn't, I mean, let's be honest, like I was a pain in the ass to raise sometimes. Well, we'll get to that eventually, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's a whole other podcast. I, you know, 70 years is a long time and right. we blew by your mother and I getting married. I know. Sorry. Okay, so you, know, you want to go back. And we've been married 50 years. I know, 50 take. years in uh-huh. September. Congratulations. Right. That is like such a huge accomplishment, uh, especially nowadays where divorce rates are more normal. Like it's normal to get divorced more than it is to stay together for that long. So that's quite the accomplishment. Do you have a secret to, to that success? I do. Okay, what is it? And from day one with our marriage... I didn't know I was going to bring out so many tears in you, Dad. I love it. We had a third person in our marriage from the beginning. God. Jesus Christ, yes. Mm-hmm. He got us through the tough time. You know, I liken marriage that day when we said I do. 
it was like we were in Santa Cruz and we got on the roller coaster because that's what married life is all about. It's true. You have your highs, you have your lows, you have your sudden turns like a roller coaster. And I think people, it became too easy for people to step out of the car when the roller coaster was at its low. Mm -hmm. You're not stepping out of the car on a sudden turn or a high. When it's low, people, they pull the plug. And there's just, I think, family structure has suffered tremendously because of that. Yeah. And I think there's a lack of that third person in our family lives that uh, is not there to help you get through those low times, those tough times, Mm -hmm. to where you can rely and trust on him that his plan is bigger than yours and that um, there's more to life than what's in this world. I have sayings that I, that I live by. I, I, uh, what's one of them? Well, one of them is, I'm not, still a quote from St. Augustine, that uh, feed your body as if you'll live forever, feed your soul as if you'll die tomorrow. I'm, I'm processing that one. <laughs> I'm sorry? Processing what that means. Well, we feed our body as mm-hmm. if we're going to live forever. So you're putting healthy food in your body. Right. You want to live a long time. You take care of your body right. that he's given us. And then if you're going to die tomorrow, you want you better have your soul in order right. for the next level. I mean, it's just kind of a simple. I was overthinking but, it. Yeah, you, know, you don't need to overthink it. It's you. You kind of do half half the equation. I think right. but, uh, uh, you have plenty of time. Right. I hope. Me too. We don't. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know the day or the hour. So I keep kind of falling back on, on Christ. But that's the secret to who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I I had some tough times early on with my faith. Thank God your mom prayed for me and got me through it. You know? Right. So. So that's your secret. I've, I've become closer now. Maybe I don't. Know, maybe I figure I'm rounding third, heading for home at some point. Uh, but uh, that's not the case of why I'm doing it. It's just right. my faith is strong. And uh, do you remember any time while raising us kids before we were all out of the house where you and mom were in a really big like struggle phase or like a low? Anything that stands out specifically? No. no. That's pretty lucky to be able to say that. I right. guess so. I mean, was I mean, it? Did you ever struggle? I can't really remember. Did you struggle financially ever? I mean, you always oh, had we, food on the table. Like we, I well, never felt it. If we, you did, we I did, just to but put, yeah, you know, I mean, you guys private. You know, when you're looking at the bills and uh, our vacations, I mean, we made going up to uh, Carson City and Tahoe <laughs> as a, a vacation and yes. involved baseball. Later on, Cayucas was very inexpensive mm-hmm. for us because we knew somebody. Yeah, hot beach house, but. Uh, yeah, money, I'd say money was tight, you know, and there was the S's and the no's. But, I mean, I always remember you always were working really hard, you know. I always remember you working and doing your job. But I also really remember mom taking on different jobs, like when she worked at Lucky's and would wake up early. And I just, like, I, I respect that so much, you know. She had six kids on her plate. I mean, I have two, and I and I don't know how to juggle everything. I just think it's really admirable that she would take on a job early in the morning, you know, and step up the way that she did. And, you know, she ran a daycare out of our house at one point. I'm like, don't you have enough children? But she did. And it was just, it was really, it was really awesome. 
for those of you that are listening, you don't know this, um, but my mom is in the room listening to us do this. So, you know, I just, I want her to know that I noticed it and just your guys' work ethic was really admirable, you know, and I think that's also why we, all your children have good work ethic is because of the parents we had leading by example. Right. But I think some of our children, you included, I think you get wrapped up uh, with two's enough. And I think, I think, I mean, we obviously have Oh, you're talking about children? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're missing the boat. Right. I think, number one, you know, one's going to either have a brother and a sister or vice versa, and they don't have that. You know, you, you also started girl. a lot younger than, like, I, I did. You know, was, like, I you was, probably had four kids by the time I had my first. Not probably. We did. You did. <laughs> you did. And, so, like, uh, I think that that's also, like, society has changed in that realm, you know, that you're having kids a little later. And I did make the comment that society is missing out. Yes, and, and, you know, I can't imagine giving birth six I, times. I, <laughs> I, I, married, I, married, I married my best friend. Right. I had nothing to worry about because of that. Mm-hmm. She was my best friend, still is to this day. I think um, I'll just call back to a year ago when you said we're going to K- the Kentucky Derby. And I first thing out of my mouth wasn't yes or no. Great. No, it wasn't. What, what, about was it? what about mom? Yeah, he was really worried about my mom feeling left out. But I had her covered. I know you I did. got to, I got to, you know. Send her in Scotia to Kendall Jackson's party. So we got her covered. She you had a did. great time. Yes, so she did. Let's talk about the Kentucky Derby. Okay. How was that experience for you? I have a few followers from Kentucky who want to know your take on it. And I know for me, it was something that I will remember for the rest of my life. And I felt so grateful that I got to experience that with you. I know that you, your dream is to go to Keeneland, right? Saratoga Springs, number right. one. That's Keen- in- Keeneland, number two. Okay. Keeneland, hour and a half from Louisville. So yeah. we were close. But being at the Derby was pretty spectacular. It was. I mean, it's just such an event. I mean, the other two uh, racetracks would be a different type of atmosphere. Right. I mean, they, in their own way, they're spectacular. I mean, Saratoga and upstate New York is the birthplace of horse racing in our country. Mm-hmm. You know, to go there would be. Not on your bucket list? Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Well, maybe Kendall Jackson will make that happen for us. <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, with, if you're referring to Kendall Jackson and <laughs> working for them, uh, Keeneland would be the place to go because yeah. they have Stone Street Farms and right in, located in, in, in Lexington. Right. And that's where Keeneland is. Well, let's actually talk about the Derby, though. The fact that your daughter had the long shot horse that you told her not to bet on in the morning. Remember what you said? Do you remember what you said to me that morning when I, I brought you that horse? I said that horse doesn't have a chance. <laughs> you said that horse ain't winning well, the Derby, Erica. <laughs> there's, a reason, there, there's a reason why, Erica. It's a long shot. It's 80 to 1. It, it, it was the biggest Derby upset in history, correct? No. Oh. Well, where did I get that from? I, I don't know. Well, I, it was a late me. ad. Oh, yeah, it was in the all, Derby. also eligible, so a horse had a scratch that was eligible in the field for, right. it, for it to get in, and it did, and it ended up winning. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the horse, but there was a longer shot that... Um, I forget the name of the horse, It was too. a Southern, uh, South American horse that won it, and it paid over $200, whereas Rich Strike paid 180 Right. So, gotcha. I mean, it's well, up there. I mean, it's in the top three. I, 
Well, I, it was pretty incredible, like just being there and actually having the long shot on my ticket for one moment, we thought I may have won. Correct. And when you're there, you can't like rewind anything and go back. So we were standing there for a minute or two wondering if I just hit big. Everything was spectacular. Yeah. It was Uh, so much fun. Being there with you. People um, thought that I was there with you. Like some people thought that I was there as like your significant other and not your daughter. (laughs) Do you remember that? Well, I like, do. what's your husband's name? I'm like, that's my dad. <laughs> but there were a lot of sugar daddies there. Do well, you know what that a, is? Yeah, I, okay. I, I know what that is. It's a candy bar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I know I know what a sugar okay. daddy is, okay? <laughs> but anyway, I, I think oh my gosh. it was just uh, such a high doing everything there and, and being part of the uh, the atmosphere of Louisville. Right. That, what happened, the whole country comes together in that one city. You know, what's really, what I found really cool about it was like the sea of color. Like just, that was something that really stood out to me. And the sound, like when the race was finishing, it was just, it was something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. That sound that ever, you know, cheering. And it's like, I, I, the sound I remember the most. Oh, I know. was when Rich Strike hit the finish line first. And it was like stunned silence. Right. An 80 to one shot just won the Derby. And the majority of people obviously don't have that horse. And it won. And it, it, there was that period of silence. Like, like what did that what, just happen? What just happened? Yeah, it's true. Well, that was, that yeah. was a fun trip for sure. I'm so glad we got to take that together. The downside, I've been losing sleep ever since then. <laughs> he was really, he because was really upset. Because I was, and I didn't yeah. know how you made your bet. You went off and did your thing, and I, that might have been better if I kind of had known what was going on. Yeah. Okay. All, all my I, brothers I, were like, go cancel your bet. You're wasting $100. Yeah, but if you think back, how did we do it? We knew we were betting Rich Strike, mm-hmm. didn't we? Yeah. And you knew you were. You were going to box it in the exacta, right? With the long shot. No, with the favorite. Oh, with the favorite. And at the time... The six horse, I think it was Tapia from California, was the favorite on the board, and Epicenter was the second Yeah, and choice. the reason why I did not bet on Epicenter was because we have a place locally here called Epicenter, and it's like a bowling alley and arcade, and it takes all my money because my kids, like... Well, th- that horse would have... You could have bought Epicenter almost, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, the Exacta paid $4,000 yeah. with Epicenter, yeah. and we went to the other horse... Mm-hmm. Because I said, go with the six. Right. Six had the lead turning into the stretch. Yep. You know, that there was a fast pace. I would have, if I had had Epicenter in my bet with Rich Strike, I would have won like over $100,000. Yes, you would have. Yep. But we didn't lose that day, Dad. Remember I told you that? I said, you know what? No matter oh, what, it had we won. To do with right? the, yeah, gambling, but. <laughs> oh, that was a bummer. It was that, a big time. That was bummer, a, for a sure. punt gutch for your father. For sure. Okay, let's get on to some other questions. Um, Somebody asked me, and I, and I feel like I'm really curious to know what you're going to say. If there was one thing you could take off my shoulders, what would it be? Off your shoulders? Uh-huh. Do you have any ideas? I haven't really thought. I saw that, right. you know, I mean. Well, that's why I sent I, you the questions before, but that's okay. Uh, that's we'll, okay. We'll go to a different question. Okay. No, I can answer Oh, that. you can. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would say that you need to be more worry about more of what you can control right and worry less about what you can't totally that would probably be my number one thing i think that's great 
That's great advice. You know, the other two would. You know, oh, there's three. No, the other, in addition to. Okay. Oh, in addition to. Okay. Would be. Your spirituality. Yes, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah, and. That's a whole other podcast. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Well, you could. We can include mom in that one along with Yeah, we, we three, definitely we get, could. We get three microphones in here. We can. What was it like, on that note, what was it like raising me specifically? Um, well, I've always said that um, girls are easy when they're young mm-hmm. and more difficult as they get in their teenage years. Yeah, but you wouldn't say the same for Scotia, my sister. Well, she was, like, it, easy the whole time. <laughs> she was, but, you know... She was first. Right. So the oldest tends to, later on, toe the line a little more than the ones that come after. Because the ones that come after are kind of watching and seeing, what can I get away with? What mm-hmm. can I not get away with? I mean, right. You know, by the time Matt came along, he he was Matt. And yeah, you know he was I'm Matt. Talking. And he, yeah. didn't, he didn't, like, he wasn't, like, a he, social butterfly in any sense and no. wasn't, like, a risk taker. Yeah, I mean, he was so good on the piano. By the time he went to high school, that when he signed up for piano at Montgomery High, he came home and I said, how'd it go today? He said, the teacher heard me play and just said, you go over there in the corner, you're fine. <laughs> she, she's, she's teaching t- chopsticks to the other students and Matt's playing Mozart for crying out loud. So, <laughs> you, know, you didn't have so, to worry about him. Yeah, he got through it in three years and was at the JC. So, right. no, I didn't have to worry about Matt. And you're right, he wasn't social. No. I think. As you got older, you know, the boys get easier, the girls get more difficult. Right. You know, you don't have to worry about it. We were blessed, and you were blessed to have. You're getting choked up again. Yeah. What, that I had older brothers? No, that you had grandma. Oh, yeah. My grandma, Jarrett, for those that don't know, my mom's mom lived with us for like 15 years. 16. 16 years. And that was like, you know, while I was in high school was a big part of when she lived. She lived there for, you know, full time. She did our laundry. She walked around the block. She was so great. She limited for me ever trying to throw a party at the house. That's for sure. There was no way that was going to happen. (laughs) And you know, if she didn't live there, I would have tried. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was very rebellious. But we were, we were blessed to have her in our life. It was another generation in our household. Right. And to have her there was such a blessing. Yes, I agree. It was great. And I, I miss her. She was she was very inspiring. She was a nurse for 60 years, right? 75. 75 years. Holy shit. 65? 65. 65 years. 65 years. And she worked at the... Convalescent on, home. On, on Summerfield. Yeah. And there was a lot of patients that were younger than her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was about a mile or so from the house and... In her later years, she had failing eyesight. Yeah. And your brothers asked me one time, how does Grandma Jarrett drive the car? I said, I think it's by memory because she can't see. That's very scary. It was scary, but. Well, she also she drove managed. like a huge like Cadillac. That was yeah. a boat well, coming around the corner. Well, if someone hit it, she'd never feel it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That is true. That is, true. is true. But I was definitely more of a rebellious teenager and I, you know. I wanted to figure out everything on my own. And, and I, I remember that night like it was yesterday. Do you want to tell the story? I can. Go for it. Okay. So you were a freshman at Montgomery High School, and we came home one night, and we pulled into the, I don't know where we came home from, but we came home, 
it was probably about nine, maybe 10 o'clock at the latest. And I don't know where we had been, but pull into the driveway and you said, dad, I want to learn on my own. And I was kind of like, you want to learn on your own? Even if I can know you're making a mistake somewhere that I, I can't jump in and say, hey, e, you need to think this through a bit. Nope. I want, to, I want to learn on my own. And that I did. And I went upstairs. Your mother was, I remember her being in the bedroom there in bed before we got home. And I said, Alice, strap it on. We're in for a long four years here. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew in the freshman year that, and I won't call us being lucky, but I had a lot of fine people at Montgomery oh, High. people were always looking out for me, that, weren't they? They. I couldn't get away with anything because everybody knew you in this town. Yeah. And I'd be like out of class and be like, I saw Erica at Close Ice Creamer today at 12 and I'm supposed to be in school. It takes a village, right? Yeah. You know, to raise children. And we had that. We had a great friend group, mm-hmm. friends through the- I think it's Saint, so important. From St. Eugene's- uh, we would watch their kids on a weekend and then mm-hmm. vice versa. I think you're doing that a little bit now too. Mm-hmm. You're in town, which I think is great. Yeah. You need to have that getaway time as a couple. Right. You know, away from your children and uh, you can trade off with another family. It definitely family. takes a village. It does take and a I village. And like, I like having other people impact my kids' lives. And it's not just, I mean, obviously Mark and I are the biggest impact on them, but mm-hmm. and, I love and, that and, they and can they, go over to other people's houses and. They watch everything you do. Right. You, you were serving me at the time and mom on how we lived our life. Right. And I think, I think we set a good example in that, that regard, you know. You definitely did. You no, know, I don't regret anything during that time. That Was I the hardest to raise? You can be honest. I'm, you're not I, I am. I mean, I hesitate only because. You had different challenges with different kids. I, I did. Right. I did. But nothing earth shattering or anything like that that I had to deal with. I Just mean, being a normal teenager. Yeah, you know, like a... Thank God I didn't had, have a cell phone then, right? Like You did. Well, I did my last year, but... But the first time you had it, you had a $300 bill. I couldn't pay it. And you couldn't pay it. <laughs> the very first bill with your oh, I first I think all cell my phone. graduation money went towards paying that bill. And I, I still remember this day. And I, I said, give me the phone. And you said, it's my phone. And I said, give me $300. <laughs> <laughs> You couldn't, I knew you didn't have the 300, so. I gave you my phone. You did. Yeah. But you know what? There's something to be said. I mean, because I go back to my dad. He was a, he was at a fatherless childhood and lived on the streets in West Oakland, which you wouldn't do today, but uh, back then it was different. Mm -hmm. He he learned. Yeah. He learned. There's there's book smart and there's street smart. Right. And I think you became a little more street smart than book smart. (laughs) Now, that may have changed. Yeah, that could change, but. You are. You, yes, and I, I told the story at your wedding. I said, you broke the hinges on the front door of the house when you turned 18 and couldn't get out fast enough. And then a year later, after your lease was up, you broke the same hinges coming back through. <laughs> so I realized how expensive the world was. And then uh, I said, we're going to charge you, I think it was 300 and Yeah, I think you like charged me 350 bucks a month. a month. I love this idea. I actually plan to adopt this for my children's And Sunday. And, and uh, you said, well, that's not fair. And I go, how's it not fair? I go, what are you paying? What were you paying with your uh, girlfriends at that house? And you said five hundred. I said, I'm asking for three fifty because I know you'll blow it each month. <laughs> True. If you didn't give it to me. But then what did you do? I, I saved the money for it. And then at the end, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. At the end, 
when you need it, I'll give you all your money back. And that went, yep, you did. You saved yeah. all that money, and then it went towards my next. You went to Europe, I thought. I thought. Oh, maybe. Yeah, you asked me. Can I have it? Yeah. And yeah. Then that's maybe what I did. To- it was very smart because it got me in the habit of, you know, again, paying rent and being responsible. And But you weren't, like, taking my money from me, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, like, it taught responsibility. And I thought that I used it towards, like, my next, like, down payment. Not down payment. What's it called? When you go pay for rent. Oh, my gosh. Deposit. Oh, deposit. Yeah. No, no matter what you used it for. I mean, you're hitting the nail yeah. on the head when he said teach you to, you know, maybe, I don't know, use the word frugal, but... Uh, yeah. You still had a little spending. I could have said, "Give me five hundred. Yeah, but I took a number that that was nice. I'm going to leave you a little bit and keep the other. I wasn't taking it, betting it on Rich Strike in the Kentucky Derby. I <laughs> no, but that's something that your son you. did. Do you remember this? You do oh. remember this. Okay, so I have a story to tell about Tony. <laughs> my dad. My dad was going out of town or something, and he. It was my mom's birthday, and so he. We went up to Mendocino. Yes. And he told me, he said, here's $40, Erica. When we get home, can you be sure that there's an ice cream cake for mom from Baskin Robbins for her birthday? And I was like, okay, sure. And Tony, like, was must have been eavesdropping on that conversation. And you guys left. And Tony came up to me and he said, hey, Erica, I'll go get the cake for mom. Like, you know, I'll do it. Like, give me the money and I'll go do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, took it to her off my, you know, my list. And... Come to find out, what did he do with it, Dad? Tony went to the off-track betting facility there. <laughs> Nowadays, you can bet it on your telephone, the, right? The, the jockey club. The, the jockey club, and he lost the $40. He bet my mom's birthday cake money away, and then had didn't he borrow $40 from Nick Galvin or something? Well, what happened was I think he tried to... Uh, Win it back? No, no, he tried to get it through the bank, and something happened, you know, from uh, ATM. yeah. And his card was declined or probably insufficient <laughs> funds or that type of thing. So that didn't work. I think he tried one other thing and he couldn't get it. So now he's stuck. Yeah. So he probably Nick or someone bailed him out. Yeah. So yeah, Tony to this day gambled his mother's birthday cake money <laughs> at the racetrack on the horses. Oh, gosh. Way oh, to go, bro. You know what? But we're sitting here. And laughing about it now. Yeah, I mean, at the time he was probably good 20, out. 25 years later, and it's a memory. Exactly. She had a cake on the table when, when oh, she got I'm home. I'm sure she did. Yeah. All right, let's switch over to everybody wants to know what was your first impression of Mark? Do you remember meeting him? I don't remember where we were. Um, yeah, I couldn't recall specifically, other than probably at the house, and he came in and he was introduced to me. Right. And I think you. You were coming off kind of a downer at that point. Yeah. You didn't like my other boyfriend at that point. Oh, I had a tough time with that kid. Yeah. So did Tony. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it worked out for the best. And, it really and, did. And t- going to uh, Barleycorns and Mark asking for your hand. Yeah. Oh, he's crying again. Mark, you made my dad cry. That's how much of a good first impression Mark made then, because you really loved. Well, him. that wasn't the first impression. No, but, but like he that left an impression on you because you left, left him. the impression that he loved my daughter. Yeah, and I had a feeling he'd take care of you. Yeah, and that he does. I know. And he, Mark, anytime Mark goes to my parents' house or anybody else's house in this family, they put him to work. <laughs> They're always like, "Hey, Mark, can you fix my garbage disposal?" And sure enough, like Mark will be under the sink, and he happily does it. That's for I sure. I know he does. He's no, a handy I, guy. No, he's talented. He's very talented. Yes. yes. In many, many ways. Yeah. 
He's very smart, but... But he's taking care of my daughter. He is. He's a very good husband. I'm very lucky. And he had great role models as well as parents. His parents were married over 50 years before his dad passed away. So we both were very fortunate to have the role models that we have as far as marriage goes and family. So we're very lucky. But not everybody is so lucky when it comes to the parents that they land. And a lot of people listening have either lost their dad or didn't, you know, have a dad figure in their life. What kind of words of wisdom, like dad wisdom, could you give those women specifically who are missing that in their life? Is there anything that you could offer up, like, you know, in a cliff note It's way? hard. From experience, no. I didn't experience mm-hmm. that. My parents were married 60 years. And right. So, you know, I didn't experience that part. Um, I knew my dad had lost his dad when he was nine. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure you have followers that have lost their father. Right. But my dad was lucky. He was the youngest of six boys. And my uncle John or his brother John took him under his wing and looked after him, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's what it takes, you know. It takes family. And I think I don't have – that's not an easy answer. No, because it's just like generally stated as difficult. I mean, you did it. All, all my children did it. At that time in their life, they married their best friend. That's good advice. And if you're able to figure that out and do that, it makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, your mother and I never, ever talked about We got in, I mean, did we have fights? I mean, we had, I would say we had more disagreements. You never fought in front of us. I remember, I never saw that. But we, we had disagreements. Right. I mean. You're human. It, it wasn't uh, perfume and roses the whole time, I'll tell you that. And, uh. <laughs> But um, we got along, and yeah. we, we compromised, and we made things work. And I think as a married couple, that's what it's about. It's making it work. Mm-hmm. And you have to work on your marriage. And I, I would say you need to have romance in your marriage. You need mm-hmm. to take those dinners together by yourselves and get, get a babysitter and spend time together. Keep to know one another and keep to romance one another. Right. Throughout your marriage. Never stop dating is what you told me on my wedding day. Yeah. And it's true. I, I meant that. Yeah. It, it hasn't changed. No. Somebody lost their dad recently and sent me a message. And she said, one thing I wish I would have asked my dad before he died last year was, what's something that you would like to say to me that I can always remember about you? That like, like what's something that you want me to leave with, if anything? Well, about me. Whatever. What talking about? Yeah. yeah. That I was real. Mm-hmm. I, I'm who I am. I'm not a, you know, there's no facades or anything like that. What you see is what you get. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and what I say is what I mean, mm-hmm. and it's who I am, you know, and how I live my life. People see it. Mm-hmm. I know they do, but how I live it is who I am and what I do. And I go back, I mean, obviously for another time, maybe you talk about coaching. But I remember telling my players at Santa Rosa High when I was the baseball coach there. And the baseball field was my classroom. Mm-hmm. That's how I, I thought when I got hired as the baseball coach, the school didn't hire me just to, we want you to coach baseball. Yeah. You know, it's more than that. I, it was my classroom and it was, I used the game of baseball as a teaching tool. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my players, I says, you know, I said, you have a right to an education here in our country to go to a public high school. And I said to them, you do not have a right to play baseball here. I said, it's a privilege. You need to earn that privilege. And by earning that privilege, 
I said, you're going to be held to higher standards than the average student in this school. Now, is there anyone here that doesn't think that that's fair? And there were a few of them, yeah, that's not fair. I'm a student here just like any other student. And I said, no, you're not. I said, let me ask you or tell you this. I said, if I, as your baseball coach, gets pulled over for drunk driving, the press Democrat the next day is going to say, Santa Rosa High School baseball coach, DUI. They held you to a standard. They hold me to a higher standard Mm -hmm. because I'm the baseball coach here. If the guy who picks up my garbage on Monday mornings gets pulled over for a DUI, maybe with social media today it's changed, (laughs) but uh, I don't even think so with that. You're not going to see that in the paper at all. It's, you know. Yeah. So he did the same thing I did. I'm front page. He doesn't even make the newspaper. Yeah. So I'm held to a higher standard. So I need to live my life accordingly or make decisions accordingly to the position I'm in. To live up to that standard. And now you guys, I said, you play a baseball game and they report that in the paper. You know, Matt LaDuke threw a three hit shutout against Piner High School, struck out 14, and they were reporting all the exploits that you did. Or Kevin Anderson, you hit a three-run home run, and Santa Rosa scored four runs in the seventh inning and beat Montgomery. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this is going to cause an argument. But (laughs) I said, so the newspaper is reporting your exploits. And I said, and if you guys do something wrong, it's not going to say Santa Rosa student in the newspaper. No. It's going to say Santa Rosa athletes. And then in the the article, it's baseball players. Mm -hmm. I said, so you are being held to a higher standard. So then it clicked with them, I'm assuming, when you use this analogy. I think, well, they listened. I mean, I had a group of freshmen, and some of the names I used, they were freshmen at that time, and Santa Rosa was not very good in baseball when we took over, but we ended up losing to De La Salle in the Coliseum by the time they graduated. Wow. That was, was, yeah, that's a whole story in itself. And fun fact, Melvin was the Santa Rosa High School baseball coach when my brothers were playing at the rivalry high school, Montgomery High, and... How would you say, I remember being, you know, the sister in the house witnessing this rivalry going on and the competition going on in the household, but how would you say that was as far as that experience? Healthy. Yeah. Kept it healthy. It didn't, you know, didn't rub it. Did you ever take advantage of the fact that Mikey was blind in one eye when he was pitching? Did not. And I've been accused (laughs) of that, but that is not the case. Okay. And your brothers were, your mother doesn't think so to this day, but she's wrong. (laughs) So Mikey's blind in his left eye. So when he would hold runners on first base in baseball, he couldn't see with his left eye over there. So they could arguably easily get a bigger lead and steal, and steal second. to second. Yes. But your brothers were smarter than that. They were baseball guys. And Tony, who could see, mm-hmm. he was the catcher. He would, you know, maybe thumb it. Yeah. With There's somebody running. To, no, to throw over to first base to get him a little closer. Mike could see Tony, but yeah. he couldn't see first base. And that is true. And I know I never did take advantage of that. Well, and, that's uh, good. Well, it is what it is. The other thing, one other, and I'll t- we can get off baseball if you want, because that's okay. Um, being a teacher, you know, we raised money at the school. You know, we we provided new uniforms. We got the training tools we needed to coach the kids to make them better players. That mm-hmm. type of thing. So we, you go to the community. We would have what we called a hitathon and. You know, mail it to your grandparents. I can guarantee you they do that nowadays too. But uh, ask your dentist, ask your doctor to help fundraise mm-hmm. for our program. And I, I would tell the kids, I go, it doesn't end there. Doesn't end there. 
you're asking the community to support you. What are you giving back to the community? That's a very good question. You know, and so, so what did they do? I volunteered our baseball team. The armory is right behind the high school. We pulled shifts. I, you know, called a friend of mine, Bill Ron Kelly at St. Eugene's, who was in charge of it. We'll take a shift on Tuesday night at, at the armory. So the ballplayers went there, and we had the people come in from the, off the that were living on the streets, and it was a soup kitchen. Yeah. So we volunteered at the soup kitchen. We did we did two or three you know a year. Do you think they're doing that nowadays with high school sports I don't know. and athletes? It, 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 it's up to the coach. I mean, the coach right. is the leader. You know, you're leading young men. You're trying to mold young men. And I tell people, I go, you know, I told our players, not people, but people that played for me, I said you want to be contributors to the community and not takers. We set up and broke down tables for free to be, you know, which is an organization here in town. Sue Bisbee was a close friend of mine. She ran that. We also, we, we did a baseball clinic to help fundraise as well. And I had someone come up to me and say, you know, we're with Special Olympics and no one has ever done a fun, you know, a, a clinic for us. And I, I, I remember that. We did that up at Mark West Little League. Mm -hmm. we, it became an annual thing. And I remember the first time I did it, I was walking on eggshells. I mean, how do you teach, you know, special needs kids the game of baseball? Right. And they brought in their people. They actually brought their people into one of our practices. And we were in the gym. And they showed the emotions that my players would experience with kids that were frustrated or something. They actually, you know, tied their hands up with sticks and they say, now throw a ball. And it was, you know, I'm talking about yeah. athletes here that are pretty good. And they would have trouble throwing. And they go, those are the feelings those kids are be experienced. And so this one guy who I don't recall his name, unfortunately, but he was great that put on this clinic and he talked as if he had a disability. And so at the end of him going through everything, he asked him, he says, would you come down and shake my hand? And our players in unison, and we're talking to the JV as well as the varsity, because we, we did everything together, both teams. They came out of the bleachers and they're shaking his hands and he turns to me and winks and in perfect. He says, you got a great group of kids here, coach. Just like that. And I, that's great. I just, I, and I, well, I know I have a great group of kids. Mm -hmm. So we went up there that day, and I brought all the – we were in uniform, and we showed up, and the first one, and I brought the team together, and I said, hey, fellas, today's not about baseball. Right. Today's about high fives and putting smiles on the kids' faces. What if they still have something like this? I, I, I don't know. I mean, we did it for, I would say, the four years. I mean, when I was the, we did it the years I was the coach at the school. If you were a local coach in Sonoma County, or anywhere for that matter, this is a great idea on giving back to your community and giving kids the opportunity to make connections in their community that I'm sure will have lasting impressions on their life. That's something I'm sure that if anybody's listening and was a part of at Santa Rosa High with you, I would venture to guess that they remember that and they were really grateful that you gave them the opportunity to be a part of that experience that's really awesome we took it even a step further because russ of course you did <laughs> russ petrick and i were close friends and russ was the baseball coach at montgomery high school for uh -huh. my for my sons and got together with russ and said, we're gonna have a contest 
and draw two names out to have a bat boy or girl Special Olympics to be in our dugout. Oh, how cool. And I knew I could go to Russ because we were so close. Right. And he would be big time for it. And we did that. We had a night for Special Olympics at Doyle Park when we played Montgomery. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We got to make this happen again. If there's anybody that's local that is in the sports world here locally with the high schools, like let's try to find a way to, to bring this back if they don't do it already. I, I don't know if they do. Yeah. I don't, you know, and we played our games at night at Doyle park. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do. Yeah. That. I don't know. So it was different in that regard. Uh, your brother, Tony, he's sensitive still, <laughs> you know that very, yeah. And he wanted to be able to participate. I let him participate. And I remember we were two or three years into it. So he was probably almost a senior and we were doing the clinic, and this one one little girl, no, this one little girl, had no arms, no legs. Oh my gosh! And so we we would have hitting stations, and Tony goes, "How do I do this?" I said, "Just hand her the bat." So he he went to hand her the bat, and she took it under the stub of yeah. in her armpit, and we were hitting wiffle balls, you know, not regular baseballs, and. She took a swing and hit a line drive right back at Tony and knocked him <laughs> over. I, we both, the heck? And she was hopping around. We were doing yeah. the fielding drill. She looked like a little grasshopper out on the yeah. field, Aww. you know, and it was such a special moment. And then about a month later, and your mom will know this, picking up the Press Democrat, there's an article on this girl. She's on the back of a horse. Holy shit. Yeah, doing like equestrian or whatever it was <laughs> at that this gal was accomplishing more. That's inspiring. It was very inspiring. Yeah. And no I, limitations. And correct me if I'm wrong. Allie will correct me if I'm wrong. But the first time I came back from the first clinic, you know, you think you're doing something for somebody else. It was totally the other way. Right. I, said, I, I need a drink. I got to come off the high. Oh, yeah. It came it's rewarding. It was, yeah, it yeah. came back. And I'm sure, you know, we're dealing with teenage boys who, think they're the hot shit yeah tremendous athletes and yeah little uh, egos they're, they're invincible mm-hmm. and that type of thing but to put them in that situation a with soup kitchen and b yeah. helping other people with tables and chairs c special needs young adults these kids yeah. you know i think they got something out of that i'm almost I sure think they, they did, did too. you know well speaking of drinks yours is empty mine is near empty and uh, so I think that uh, we'll wrap this up. I loved having you on here. This won't be the last time we have you here because everybody just loves Melvin. Huh. And I hope that, you know, learning about a little bit more about Mel and the stories he's told and the advice that he's given in just this short time has impacted you guys in some sort of way or have inspired you to go out and do something for your community. I know how important that is. And I didn't, that just, just didn't stumble upon me. I learned all of that by the example that you set, by the example my grandparents set. And I'm so fortunate that I do have a platform locally to be able to try to lead by example and keep that going. And I hope that I teach my children that. So thank you. Well, I love you. I'm more, more proud of you at what you do. Aww. You know, getting back to Tony. Yeah, he's in the big leagues. Yeah. Right, the pinnacle. Yeah. That's not why I cried that right. day. I know. Well, I love you, Dad. I love you, too. Thanks for being on here. All right. And be sure to tune in to the next episode of Whiskey and Lace on all the places that you listen to your podcast. 
All right, friends, that's all for today's episode of the Whiskey and Lace podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share the love and leave a review. And remember to join the Whiskey and Lace community by following me on TikTok and Instagram at Whiskey and Lace. And send me a DM to say hi and mention this episode. I'd love to meet you. See you next week. Bye.